Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today. Ah, it's good to be back into the studio after a short hiatus. Um, you know, I had to go uh, visit some family. You know, these things are kind of important for us and take a little break. And uh, it was wonderful all around. I missed you guys. Uh, I don't know if you missed me or not, but, you know, if you're here listening to me, hopefully you did. So welcome. We have a wonderful show in store for you. But first, of course, we have our quotes of the day. And I'm sure you've been waiting for these for the last two weeks. So let's get some new quotes of the day out there for you from the universe and from Abraham. First, from the universe. Most people will find it very hard to believe, but there is nothing ever worth being unhappy about. Because no matter what happens, it will add to you. You and everyone else still live forever. You'll be together again, and our love will remain tabloid fodder in realms far, far away. Thank you. Earth rocks the universe. <laughs> we love our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe. Uh, kind of having fun with us, but uh, a very important point that really there is nothing worth being unhappy about. And the reason why, and from my perspective, I believe that's true, is because being unhappy just doesn't serve us energetically. Because what happens, I mean, even just on a physical basis, what happens when we're unhappy? We get depressed, our nervous system starts to shut down, our imagination doesn't flow, and we don't see as many possibilities. We don't see the, the intricacy, the different ways that we can do different 
different things and serve in, in different manners. So when you're bringing your energy down like that, of course, you know, we're not going to be up happy all the time. We feel how we feel. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's just the understanding that the less you can attach to things like, oh, this has to happen for me to be happy, you know, it's like you're setting conditions on your happiness. And the more you learn that, like, hey, I can be happy without having to have this happen or that happen or to, to have a big house or a car or the perfect relationship or this or that, it's a gift that we give ourselves. And when we give that gift to ourselves, then we live life more fully. We, we live in a way that we're be better able to connect to people, to connect to ourselves, to connect to our future. So it's just something to keep in mind that, hey, you know, is it really worth it? And, you know, this is something I say to people all the time when uh, I coach people and they say, you know, so-and-so did this and it really upset me and made me unhappy. And I'm like, well, is it really worth it to allow what that person did or what's going on to make you unhappy? You're actually just allowing yourself to feel unhappiness. That's not actually making you unhappy. It's a choice of how you cho you're choosing to respond to a particular situation. So, uh, a wonderful quote from the universe and a great reminder that, hey, there's really very little, if anything, worth being unhappy about. Let's see what Abraham has in store for us today. I think this is a very aligned, well, this is kind of a long quote from Abraham. Let's see what it's all about. Thought that is projected now thinks. So it's not possible to separate the thinker from the thought because the thinker thinks a thought and then the thought thinks and becomes a thinker and then the thought that was a thought is, that is now a thinker thinks another thought which becomes a thinker also. And so there is a constant summoning of life force. Now a thought that is a thought longer becomes thought form. A thought that is thought upon by many becomes thought form. A thought that is thought upon by many in a very clear, undiluted fashion, as from non-physical perspective, where there is no resistance, becomes physical matter. That's why the physical universe is a byproduct of the non-physical attention or focus. So the non-physical energy that created this physical mass from the energy of the universe the mass itself now becomes a thought that is thinking, that is attracting the energy. Whew, that was a mouthful. Bit of a tongue twister too. So what is Abraham saying here? I think what Abraham is really trying to, to get across here is that thoughts are more than just thoughts. And you've heard the expression, thoughts become things. And I really think that what Abraham is trying to explain is this very esoteric concept of thought forms and how, and, and what's also commonly known as morphogenic fields, which are thoughts that um, uh, uh, evolve into something more than just a thought. That just because we think something doesn't mean, oh, we think something and that's it and it goes away. We think something 
and it creates an energy around it, and then that energy builds upon itself, and then other people think about it. And because we've thought it, and the energy is now out there, and that energy touches other people, other places, and then people focus on it more, and the more you focus on it, the more that thought becomes a reality. And, you know, this is how archetypes are created. This is how... Um, uh, uh, these aspects, these sort of non-physical aspects come into being that go into the collective unconscious and now have a greater energy and a greater power to them and now they become something really physical. And this actually very much ties into the quote from the universe about nothing's worth being unhappy about because being unhappy creates thoughts. And if those thoughts continue to permeate the energetic fields that exist around us, in us, between us, now we're creating an energetic environment that comes from an unhappy place. And that doesn't serve anyone, as we said before. So really, what is this all about? This is all about the power of our thoughts. And they are much, much, much more powerful and have much more implications and effects upon the world around us than we realize. And that is why it is so, so, so important to really focus upon the things that uplift us instead of bringing us down. And seeing things from a perspective that everything is an opportunity and not uh, a crisis or a disaster, right? While I was away, all kinds of crazy things were going on here at the Talking Alternative studio. And it was an amazing opportunity for Rob, my dear friend and engineer, and, and really helped to keep the station going while I was away. And I'm pretty sure if you asked him, he'll tell you he learned more about the operations and doing everything than he ever did before because of all of these opportunities which you know at the time you're going through them they may feel stressful they may you know make things difficult but you learn so much you gain so much from those opportunities and the trick is as you're going through these challenges as you're going through these things to not look at it from an unhappy place but to still keep yourself uplifted and say, wow, this is amazing. Like, I'm having an opportunity to deal with stuff I've never dealt with before. What a great opportunity to get outside my comfort zone, to learn something new, to, to, to feel better about myself because I did handle all these things. So big hats off to Rob for taking care of things while I was away and being a great example for us all. Um, for these quotes about how important our thoughts are. So two uh, wonderful quotes from the universe and for Abraham. I hope you enjoyed them, right? I know I've been away for a couple of weeks, but you come back and like, this is what you get. There's some really powerful stuff. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Ellen Gottlieb, founder of Enlightened Parenting. And Ellen began to study mindful parenting more than 12 years ago when she wanted to shift her own parenting practices. She realized that her two daughters at the time, eight and ten years old, were unhappy and anxious and she knew there had to be a better way. 
Ellen is an attorney by trade, having practiced law as a litigator, an arbitrator, and a mediator for more than 30 years. So you know, like, this woman's got brains. This training has enhanced her communication and negotiation skills. Now, mindful parenting is her passion and has resulted in the creation of her own thriving coaching practice called Enlightened Parenting. Ellen was personally trained for over a decade by Dr. Shafali Tsabari. Sabari. Sabari, a world-renowned parenting expert who has been highly endorsed by people like Oprah Winfrey. Uh, they met many years ago and bonded over their mutual interest in this important subject. Ellen's work focus on, focuses on helping parents shift long-standing and deeply entrenched parenting parents and helps them to create a space for deeper connection with their children, increase their children's self-confidence, reduce their anxiety, stress, and unhappiness. And it is my extreme pleasure to welcome Ellen to the Conscious Consultant Hour. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you, Sam. I'm so happy to be here today. I'm very glad that you took the time to come into the studio to personally be here. It's always a thrill. I mean, uh, you know, I'm fine with doing, uh, you know, phone interviews, but I always love getting people in studio. It just creates a, a wonderful kind of energy around. So um, I'm curious, Ellen, I mean, it kind of got a little bit of it, but I mean, you're a lawyer by trade. Correct. Uh, how does one get to be, go from being a lawyer to being an enlightened parenting coach? I mean, that's seems like a little bit of a stretch. Well, it was time for me to raise myself. <laughs> and that's how I became a mindful parenting coach. Mm -hmm. I have these two children, and I thought I had it all. I was working full time. I was raising children. And actually, when the bottom fell out, when my job ended because the company for which I was working went out of business, what seemed at the moment to be such a scary and painful event Turned, into be, turned out to be my greatest blessing. I had a shift, and shifting began to focus on the fact that I'm raising these two little people whom I truly adore, and they were, and they were anxious, and they were the peers, and issues, and I thought, there's something here I don't know, but I don't know what I don't know, mm. and I'm going to find out. Yeah. And that's what I did. I started a journey that took me all the way to finding myself here today, which is truly a privilege. Well, what was your first step in that journey? I'm just curious, like, once you realized, like, hey, there's something going on here, I need to help my kids, like, where do you go from there? Okay, I started to read some books all okay. about mindfulness. At that time, mindfulness, which is well-known today, was yeah. really a new concept. Right. And I realized that in observing my children, they had a lot of the same attributes and unhappiness that I had. Oh. And then I looked back and I thought, well, my mother is the same way. And also oh. was my grandmother. And I realized this is quite a legacy. Yeah. Is this the legacy that I want to share? So I started right. to search. And the way the universe works brought me to Dr. Shafali, who is my very friend. And we spent hundreds of hours. And we, I've read books and she's written books. And I've helped her with some editing. And then we did groups together and meditation groups, pant groups and she has taught me a great deal and I started to shift. And as I shifted, and as I said, raised myself up, I right. became what I believe to be a more conscious parent. So I stopped. Wonderful. And I can tell you some of the paradigms, some of the practices that I engage. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that when we come back from our first little break.
Um, so uh, wonderful. Thank you for sharing your background. And when we come back, we'll talk, find out exactly what is conscious parenting, what does it look like, and why is it so important today. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. My guest this hour is Ellen Gottlieb, founder of Enlightened Parenting, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And, and welcome, welcome to, to 21st, 21st Century Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun for you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business and your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21st CE Radio or Talk Alternative. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking with Ellen Gottlieb all about conscious parenting. So, Ellen, in the last segment, you mentioned how um, your own kids were kind of stressed and anxiety, how their friends were. It, it seems to me that these days kids have a lot more pressure and a lot more stuff on them than I remember when I was a kid. You know, I, I hear the way some parents talk, and it's like, like preschool is like getting into college was back then. Is this something that do you see that like our kids, do you feel are, are more pressured than they've been before? Absolutely. I see it more and more. And I see parents buying into this paradigm. We need to raise these human beings right. rather than human beings. And our kids are only dressed. The purpose of this consciousness work is for the parent. Remember, this work is about the right. parent right. to stop and take a breath and take a pause and recognize that this little person in front of us has to be acknowledged authentically for who he or she is. Right. And that we need to stop expecting and wanting and desiring from these children and allow them and stop contaminating them. That's the mm. key issue with our own egoic agenda. Right, right. Because, uh, I mean, it seems to me like a lot of parents, they're like so invested in the child's success. It's like their child is an extension of themselves and not their own person in a way. And they don't really give the child a, an opportunity to explore themselves. Like they place all these expectations on them. And then, of course, because the child loves the parent, they're going to try and fulfill those expectations as much as they can. But it's really to their own detriment. 
it's not only to their own detriment, it's to their children's detriment. And as I always say, we don't, when we're about to have children, we don't say, gee, I hope my child doesn't reach his or her full potential. Right. I hope my child <laughs> doesn't feel too good about herself, that he doesn't have a lot of confidence, and that he's basically unhappy. That is not what we do as new parents or what we think. But right. sadly, it's exactly what we do. Right. And part of right. th that happens because of exactly what you said. We demand, we expect, we want. What do we want for our children? We want good grades. Right. We want them to be athletic. They ought to may as well be musical. Why not speak a few languages? Be right. artistic. Right. Be my trophy so that yeah. I can show you to the world. Right. And that is what I believe is causing so much pain in our children. We are, and in addition, we are judging, blaming, right. decising, and shaming. Mm. And there are just so many ways of shifting this by waking ourselves up. Right, right. Because in the end, I mean, the child only knows what they're seeing from their own parents, right? I mean, and, and there's that old expression like, you know, do what I say, not what I do. But children don't listen to what you say. They listen, they watch what you do, and then they just kind of model that, don't they? I'm chuckling because that was one of my father's favorite sayings. Is, ah. does, I, does I say, not as I do. But frankly, we do need to be the role models. And we need to stop all the judgment because we need to allow this child to be his or her authentic self. Absolutely. And we don't know ourselves. Right. We, often, you know, we are so attached to having this child that we can show to the world is a wonder, right. as opposed to just accepting the child's strengths, weaknesses, and the like without labels and without criticism. And it's, it's again, a shift that has to occur in a parent, not a child. And I tell you, I had the opportunity to speak with a group of four-year-old girls, and I uh -huh. asked them to raise their hand. Who thinks they're pretty? Every hand went up. Uh -huh. Who thinks they're smart? Almost every hand went up. Who's athletic? Every hand went up. Mm. The same day I had the chance to speak with a group of 14-year-old girls, uh -huh. and I asked the same questions. And sadly, no hands went up. Really? When I asked, who thinks you're smart? And when I asked, who thinks you're pretty? Well, that's a loaded one. Yeah. 14-year-old girls, and boys as well. Yeah. And, no hand went up. and when I asked, who's athletic? Everyone looked at the girl on the tennis team, and she shyly raised just <laughs> and i thought what has just happened in these 10 years yeah. that the self-confidence has really been diminished over yeah. these years and it happens wow. before the age of 14 wow and the point of shifting the parenting paradigm is to try at least in the home most important safe place to improve the self-confidence and to stop some of that diminishment yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, because the children, I mean, everybody knows, like, kids sometimes are, like, the worst to the other kids in their class, and, and uh, you know, and, and, and if they're bringing these unconscious attitudes with them to school, then the, the child isn't just dealing with the expectations of the parent, but then it's their peer group and people trying to fit in and everything, and, and it just makes sort of an impossible situation because, as I say all the time, you can't stand in your head enough different directions to make everybody else in your life happy. That's correct. And, and so it, it's learning to, almost in a way, not care about what other people think, say, or, or do about you, but to focus on sort of your own happiness. But it's got to come, as a child, again, they're not adults, it has to come from somewhere, and it, it needs to come from the parents first. 
That's correct. There's a very fine line, you know, Sam, between the bullied and the bully. Oh, absolutely. And frankly, the bully who is exhibiting that control and be the strong one is actually exhibiting his or her unmet emotional needs. And those needs need to be met in the home and are likely not being met in that home because of blame and shame and criticism and reactivity to the triggers, you know, and of course our children are our greatest triggers. So uh, talk a lot in this work about the importance of stopping before we react in each moment-to-moment encounter with our child. Mm. We need to stop, and we need to pause, and we need to rethink how we want to handle each and every encounter. Right. Now, I'm, I'm curious, as you try and bring this message out to parents, what is usually the initial reaction? Are people open to this? Or are they not re- willing to hear the message? What kind of reactions do you typically get? It's an interesting question. It's, it's, it's sort of loaded because... Yeah. Parents want to do better. They want their kids to be happy. They want kids to succeed. And there's a great deal of resistance, more than I expected, to the message that the parent needs to back off, Mm. to stop criticizing, Mm. to to calm down, and to accept, to deeply accept the child in front of them. So I do find I didn't have the resistance. For me, I knew I was looking for something, and I was I needed to shift. And and fortunately. You know, it was a message that resonated deeply with me. But for many parents, there is some resistance to the notion that perhaps they are doing something that is not in their child's best interest. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody likes to, I don't know, it it just seems to be such a societal thing that people don't like to take responsibility and wait for their own actions. And it's kind of like because we see it in our leaders. Our leaders don't really take responsibility. So then we think, well, a president doesn't take responsibility or my mayor or my governor. Like, why should I? Um, but really, it, it all comes down to ourselves. So, I, I mean, you really, in a way, I, it sounds to me more like you're talking about a more conscious way of living, but it's like geared towards parents, specifically towards kids. But it's the way we really want to be with everybody, not just our kids. That's true, Sam, but the difference, there's something very unique about the t- parent-child relationship. Yes, there's no one true. else we call ours in the same way. Yeah. And the truth <laughs> is our friends can leave us. Yeah. If our children don't have our home, they don't have a roof over their heads. Yeah. And we intrinsically yeah. understand that. We know uh, they can't go anywhere, so all of our stuff, our ugly stuff, tends to get dumped Mm, on our children. And right. that's where there's a great deal of danger in what we do to them. Mm. Uh, so I will tell you a quick anecdote because I find people can resonate this or more understand these concepts. So um, imagine you're sitting with a friend, you have an important paper in front of you that you need for work, and mm-hmm. the friend spills the coffee and spills the coffee and the meetings in an hour. And what, what are you likely to say to your friend? No. Wipe. It's okay. Yeah. We'll wipe it up. I'll get another copy. I'll work it out. Right. Now I'm going to ask you to imagine that you're having that coffee yourself and your five-year-old and his best friend are running around having a very fine time with their swords pretending <laughs> to be superheroes and your son accidentally knocks over your coffee. Right. right onto the report. Right. What is a parent's likely response? Why did you do that? How dare you? Yeah, should have yeah. been more careful. careful. Now, first of all, the developmental age of a five-year-old is such that a happy, giggling five-year-old is likely yes. to knock our coffee over. And it's okay. But we are kinder to those who we know can leave us mm. and to our friends than we tend to be to our children. Right. I'm not saying 
to treat your children as though they are your friends. Please understand the distinction, but we should treat them at least as well as we right. treat our friends. Right. We should actually treat them better. Of course <laughs> we should. But I'd be happy if we get to the point right. where we stop the criticism. And it's not an easy thing to do because no one triggers us like our children. Children, absolutely. They are the biggest reflections exactly. of, of what's going on inside of us. And that, that's something that over the last couple of years I've really begun to see more and more, not just with children, but just with other people in general, that the things that bother us the most about other people or the things within ourselves that we usually don't want to look at. But with our children, it's all right there and in, in living color, and we can't avoid looking at it. But it drives us up a wall. So in the mindful parenting world, we call mm -hmm. our children our mirrors. Uh -huh. They mirrors our emotions, our ego, our reflections, as you say. Right. So... What we do when your child, let's say, doesn't do her homework or spills water on a brand new computer, the immediate emotional response will feel so satisfied to scream. Right. But can right. you imagine that each time you do that, you are taking a piece of that child's soul? Mm. And you are diminishing that child because yeah. I do not believe that children spill water or, or ruin the new carpet or don't walk the dog because... They're unkind and mean. I think that developmentally, this is where they're at. So right. I guess the point of my work is to teach parents to stop criticism. In fact, when my daughter spilled water and really ruined a brand new computer, which 10 years ago was an expensive purchase, mm -hmm. and I was ready to go at it, I t go at her. I took that pause, and I stopped, and I had a family meeting. I like family meetings. Uh -huh. I said, who here has had a drink food while using a computer? We all raised our hands and I thank the child mm. for teaching us all a very important lesson because right. the computer was ruined. Now mm. I'm either going to hurt the child or I'm not. That's a choice right. that right. I get to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, to use example, I think a lot of people can that in. It might not be a computer, it could be a cell phone, it could be yes, that's an example. Right, right. Wonderful. Okay. Time for us to spend our next commercial break. When we come back, we'll, let's talk about like uh, as a parent you meet a parent and they are open to this. Like, what are the first couple of steps to take to become a more conscious parent? Everybody, please save your link to the You may be listening to Talking Alternative Network. If you have an interest in marijuana, you want to know about marijuana, law, policy, and culture, then feel free to join me, Joseph A. Bondi, every Friday at 11 o'clock in the morning on my show, In the Know 420, on TalkingAlternative.com. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc.
Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And we are also on the Facebook live stream. You can find it under uh, Talking Alternative. You should be able to find it under my personal timeline, Sam Leibowitz. Thank you, Francis, for uh, sharing the video and for listening in. Thank you for all of our listeners. Um, so, Ellen, we talked, uh, we've been talking kind of around this, this whole concept of, of a more aware, awakened, enlightened parenting. Let's say I'm a parent. You know, I'm having trouble with my kids. I come to you and I'm actually open and I'm like, what do I do? So, so how do you usually like start parents off? Because it is a very different kind of concept that you're teaching parents of a way to be. And sometimes you have to take things I would imagine in baby steps. That's correct. One of the first things I like to do is speak to parents about starting the shift in the way we see our role as parents. Okay. So... We have to stop thinking that we are the authority, ah. that we are all-knowing, mm. that we control these little beings who happen to be under our care for this period of time in their lives until mm. they're emancipated. And we have to start recognizing that this is a journey and a path that we walk side by side. They're here to teach us as much as we are here to connect and guide them. Right. You ask me what two most important precepts or concepts in mindful parenting, I would tell you the first transformative agent is connection. Connection, okay. Connection is the first thing that I try to talk to parents about, and that means, uh, and there's practical tips that we have to stop reacting when we're triggered. Mm -hmm. We have to stop demanding the success and the A grades and all, all the positive things that come from the external world. Mm -hmm. And we have to surrender the control that we want to feel over that child, mm -hmm. which means recognizing our own egos and how mm -hmm. our egos are so deeply invested in the parenting process. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, we do kind of get a little crazy about, you know, oh, my child is, uh, you know, an A student and he's in the honors role and, you know, he's on the football team and this and that. And it's like it, they're not your kid. They're a person. Person, and I can tell you the funny story that I my I raised my children in, in a competitive environment, and most of them are these days. Yeah. And uh, there was a point in time when I almost called a math teacher and asked for a lower grade on a report card, and I knew that I would be the only child parent of a child in his career <laughs> sure. would ask for a lower grade. And people said you're crazy, and husband said you lose your mind, and I said no, I haven't lost my mind, and I won't do it. I allow whatever comes, you know, on the report card. But what was my point? Yeah, why did you do that? My point was that that grade does not define my child, be it an A, a C, an F. Uh, That's not who that child is. It doesn't tell me if she is kind, friendly, wise, humble. Right. It doesn't even tell me if she is smart. Right. It simply says you understood the material or you right. didn't. You know, it's so funny. I just saw a quote on Facebook this morning from my friend, uh, Brad Solas, that said, sometimes smart people do bad on standardized tests because they don't have standardized minds. That's correct. And I thought that was just so beautiful because, you know, we have this 
educational system that's really designed in the Industrial Revolution to take a bunch of farmers and turn them into factory <laughs> workers. And that's not who we are. I mean, we're creative beings, and the way things are designed in the educational system, it's almost to beat the creativity out of the kids, and that doesn't serve anybody. And it's all, and we right. know that one size doesn't fit. And what I found right. the schools did is they catered to the top 10 or 15% and the bottom 10 or 15%. Uh, in between is... a seven percent or so of right. our students who really are not catered to and who are told you better toe line right. and it's very sad because slowly but surely we, we sort of chip away at our children's right. authentic selves and their passions and by right. the time they're fishing they don't even know what they love and who they are and right. and listen i found this in my in my 40s and 50s and yeah. so you know i finally found what I want to do when I grow up is fine. <laughs> and my feeling uh, is, let, you know, we need to let our children unfold right, in, in sort right, of a, a right. similar way. So, so, so school is one big area that we, should, you know, would be good for us to bring more consciousness to. What's another big area of my, our children's lives that we should bring more consciousness awareness to? I, I just believe it's, it's the home. Our uh, home has to be the safe haven. They come in the door in the afternoon. They have to know right. that they are safe, that they are loved unconditionally, that they will not be judged for the, for the poor grade on the test or what we deem a poor grade, that they will not be judged because they came last in the swim meet, mm -hmm. that they are accepted and loved for who they are, and that that is enough. We need to teach our kids they are enough. Yeah, yeah. Now, I imagine you, you probably get some pushback back from parents who might say something like, well, you know, I work hard to provide a good home for my kids and, you know, I don't even have enough time for myself and I come home and like you're asking me to do even more work, you know, than, than, than what I'm already doing. I mean, do you, how do you deal with parents who like mm -hmm. push back on saying, well, this is quote unquote more work for me to do? Well, we did the self selfish endeavor of having children. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's our job to be present with them. Right. And I know after a long day of work, we might want to kick back with that glass of wine yeah. and, or the TV series that we're enjoying. Right. But our first priority is our presence. Right. And they know we're not authentic and they know when we're not being present. Right. And we need to be present in the home for them. And we've taken this on and it's a sacred task. Mm. And we want a nice result. Well, it takes moment to moment awareness mm. and it takes time and effort and patience. Yeah, so I yeah. say to them, here they are. They're in our lives. They're here to teach us. Right. We, we must step up. Right. And, and I know you say that mindful parenting is not for the faint of heart. I do. <laughs> because it requires us to look at our own egos and to right. see what we've done wrong and how we've hurt. Right. How we, the parent, needs to shift. And right. like you said, this is all over the schools. You know, so I, I'll tell you the anecdote of my uh, my own child who was loving a class in art history, told a guidance counselor, you have to drop it because you must be in science research if you want to go to a good college. Really? So here's a child oh, who... Geez. Found something that right. should drop, and I said, <laughs> "Yes." And that's what we did. And really? of course, I said, "Stay with what you love." Right. And some school will find you, and you. And she turns out that a love of art history was developed and created uh -huh. from that course. Wonderful. And it's a hobby, and that's okay. Hobbies right. are wonderful. Right, right, right. Because they support us, and they they, they support our soul and our way. creativity. Of course, and creativity. Absolutely. Um. 
so what about what do you say to the parent who says, well, you know, I want my child to have a good career and a good life, and they have to get into a good college, so I have to push them mm -hmm. to do better. How do you respond to those parents? Yeah, well, I'm troubled by that. I mean, that's there's there was a, a few years ago the Tiger Mom, yeah, and it was the concept of push and push and push. Now there is a line, you know, people say my kid is lazy. The first thing I say is stop labeling, right. because the more you say lazy, guess what the child becomes? Right. The child is seeing him or herself through your eyes. Right. So we need to stop the labeling. Now, I, I don't want your listeners to think that this is sort of hippy-dippy parenting where we just connect and connect. We are also responsible for instilling boundaries. Right. But those boundaries are social boundaries. Right. In other words, I don't I have, you know, 10,000 rules. Kids mm. can't follow so many rules, but boundaries. So yes, right. I do want my children to see, but that's their definition, not mine. Right, right, And if right. they're whole, right. if they're authentically whole enough internally, I believe they will find their way. Right. And, and so it's not about my agenda for my children. It is about their agenda for themselves. So the essential boundaries after a deep connection, mm -hmm. especially, you know, with younger children, and many of my clients, interestingly, have come to me with adult children. Oh, really? They're not connected, and in, in that case, the boundary part is kind of fished. Right. For young children, boundaries are safety, right. responsibility for one's actions, right. certainly respect for yourself and respect for others. And right. in our home, education was a boundary. You had to do your homework. Mm. You know, I'm sorry. I know it's rough, but this is the system we're in. Right. So there are certain boundaries. In some homes, religion is an absolute mandatory boundary. In mm. others, it's not. Mm. That's okay. You set your boundaries. But the minutia of, of, of rules, I, I tossed out the window. Gotcha, gotcha. What, what about parents that come to you with, with, you know, kids who are, I don't want to say troubled, but are like, you know, I don't know, maybe they're smoking pot in high school or they're cutting classes or they're, they're exhibiting some behaviors that are, are typically labeled as, you know, bad behaviors. Absolutely. It's happening a lot. People come to me with 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds who are exhibiting troubled behavior. I will tell you that lecturing those children and disciplining and grounding is not going to work. I do not believe in discipline. I know. Don't scream. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You I hear that, parents? No discipline. I don't believe in timeouts. And I think for a 14 or 15-year-old who's becoming independent, that's not yeah. going to work anyway. Right. That those behaviors tend to be a result of unmet needs, mm. where the child's needs in the home have not been met. Right. Say it, do it out. Right. And now, what's the transformative agent? Again, I go back to it all the time. It's deep connection. Mm. And it's connection without judgment. That you cannot stop it. Right. So first course is safety. So the child has to know that I will pick you up without question at any time of the day or night rather than mm. having you get in a car. You know, there are certain safety boundaries right. that have to be on rules that we establish. And then it's about fostering and it's harder with the older children that's right, why i right. i love to get involved with the elementary schools yeah, and the younger yeah. children because that's where the shifts can really make a bigger difference if you have two 14 year olds who have to make a, a peer social decision about whether to engage in alcohol the one who's been parented more mindfully who feels more secure whose soul hasn't been chipped away at I t there are no guarantees here, but I tend to believe we'll make better choices. Right, Again, right. there are never a guarantee, and I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm a lawyer, so you're all on notice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, an old friend of mine, she was a, um, a phys ed teacher in high school, and she used to say to me that, you know, while she can help a lot of her kids, that a lot of times their troubles are set by the time they're seven, eight years old. And by the time 
they get to her class, no matter how hard she tries, it, it's just it's almost too late sometimes. I don't like subject too late. No. I'm working with parents of adult children, and yes. I have seen shifts and changes. And it's yeah. wonderful to see a deeper connection that is fostered and developed with an adult child and a very appreciated guys with these parents shift. So okay. And also, the gender strive has to happen in the home. Right. From there, it's not happening in the home. Right, exactly. So because it's not happening in the home, the behavior is being manifested in the classroom. Right, right. And, and really, I guess it all comes back to, you know, what kind of environment are you providing for your child? And, you know, I, I just find it so much that parents just tend to repeat, as you mentioned earlier, the, the pattern that they experience children, and that's all they know. And to ask them to do something different really means stepping out into the unknown. That's correct. And it is scary. Yeah. And it is painful. But someone said to me, it's, the work is too hard and there's not enough result. And I disagreed. The work is hard, but the result is immeasurable. Yeah, absolutely. You just may, it just may not be immediate. No, it takes time, patience, yeah. and practice. And that's okay, and it need not be done perfectly. Right, right, absolutely. It's not something, uh, you know, you're running a marathon, not a sprint. So Correct. You, you, it's, it's for the long haul. Uh, wonderful. Ah, welcome, Nancy, for listening in on the Facebook live stream. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get some final thoughts from Ellen and, and uh, let you know where to find out more about her services and learn more about conscious parenting. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been talking with Ellen Gottlieb, founder of Enlightened Parenting. We'll be right back. You're listening to Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comics, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new prime time slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, secretsofthesire.com. To the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been talking with Ellen Gottlieb, founder of Enlightened Parenting. Ellen, when it comes to, again, being a more enlightened parent, uh, it seems that sometimes the most difficult part for the children is, is the emotional side of life. How do we help our children and, and, and create an environment where they can be sort of more conscious about their emotional states? That's a great question and one that I deeply appreciate. Uh, I often have parents say to me, and I believe it's an unconscious thing we say, 
We just want our children to be happy. Happy. Yes. And my answer to you and to that parent is, are you happy all the time? Mm. Now, you spoke at the beginning of happiness, and I believe we should strive for greater right. joy in our lives. How do we get there? We get there by teaching our children that they can tolerate the spectrum of emotions. Right. So what does that mean? And we need to model that behavior, by the way, as well. Absolutely. And it's not just one or two emotions. We right. have a plethora so of emotions. So there is a plethora of emotion. There's a range. I don't like a label of a good or versus a bad emotion. Right. When, I, when our young child is giddy and laughing, we're fine. When they're crying, we jump what's wrong. Right. And why is that? We need to ask ourselves. Right. We have so much difficulty sitting with our children's pain mm. because we can't sit with our own. Right. Ah, and it is so okay. deeply hard for us to watch our child suffer. Right. So I tried an experiment one day when my younger child expressed extreme jealousy about her older sister at a, at a Friday night dinner table uh, and announced that she hated her sister. And uh, I'd never had this before, so I knew quite what was going on. And everyone's parents start yelling, but you're such a great knitter and you dance uh, and you're an actress. She didn't want to hear what she was good at. She right. wanted to be allowed to have this deep feeling. So I took her in right. another room and I said, she's a Shakespeare fanatic. Ah. I said, ah, the green-eyed monster has you. And she said, yes. <laughs> she's smarter and she gets good grades and has, is an athlete and whatever. And I said to that child, what would you do to your sister right now if you could? Would you mm. gouge out her eyes? Would you twist her head off her neck? Would you tell me? And we deeply, and this was painful for me as a mother, but I decided to dive into that jealousy. Uh, okay. And obviously she's not hurting her sister, but right. using words privately right. with me. And the older sister said, what are you doing? And I said, it's not about you. Right. And right. to this day, the it's older not... sister doesn't remember. And the younger one deeply remembers this encounter, uh, where I totally allowed for a good 45 minutes an expression of jealousy. Mm. And after I usually have a citizen table, don't mm. come back to the dinner table. Oh. And then everyone at the table was a little angry, and I said, everyone be quiet. It's not your business. <laughs> I said, one word, dessert. <laughs> and the child ran in. <laughs> and I, I am telling you the honest truth is that she went to her sister, gave her the biggest kiss on the cheek, said, I love you, and started wow. dancing around the dining room. Wow. And I knew in that moment that it was the metabolism of that pain, right. the deep permission that I gave her to experience right. That brought us to true joy. To, to really be present to it, absolutely. Present, experience it. It's like a big meal. If you don't digest it with right. a little. Right, exactly. If, if I and can make a physical analogy. Absolutely. So we allowed the pain, and honestly, it was a painful 45 minutes, but no sibling issues. Right. Because, okay, right. in moments, to feel sad, to feel jealous, to feel angry. And I, in my family, when I grew up, of course, and... You know, I had to be happy. You can't be right. angry at your brother. We had to be happy with such a vehemence mm. that it seemed scary to me to be yeah. other than happy. Yeah. I'm no longer afraid. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I had a teacher once, and, and she used to talk about the importance of being present to your emotion and how, like, what happens to us a lot is we stuff down our emotions and then it leads to, leads to disease and body later on because that energy has to go somewhere. And we don't allow ourselves to really be present to it. It gets stuck. And then people like myself who are energetic healers and counselors and therapists, you know, have plenty of work to do because people have all these stuffed down emotions. But if you can learn to be present to it as a child and as a parent, allow your child to be 
present to it, you're doing such a tremendous service to your and child. And you're teaching your child that it won't kill you. It just hurts. Yeah. It's just pain and you'll be right. okay. And I've had a dealing in my community, sadly, with a lot of children who experience exclusion and rejection. And nothing uh, triggers a parent more than their child being left out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've taught the parents. So there's no friends right now. That has to be okay in that moment right. without you falling apart. And are you right. really going to let those other nasty little 13-year-old girls who aren't really nasty but experiencing their own unconscious right. insecurity, are they really going to govern the emotional right. are they feeling gonna control you that in way, your yeah. home? Or yeah. are you going to be okay? They left you out. It hurts. Right. Let's feel it. And let's move on. Yeah, it reminds me of the, that old quote from the Dalai Lama that says, you know, life is pain, but suffering is optional. Exactly. You know, so it's like it's okay to feel pain, but, you know, we don't have to suffer because we feel pain. That's right. And it's impermanent. And yes. everything in life is. So if we yes. teach them, okay, you feel sad. Now, I'm, please understand that if you see a child who's deeply depressed for days on end, I'm not saying there isn't a time for intervention with right. medical. And I'm not, right, a, right. I'm not in the medical field. I'm a medical malpractice lawyer. Right. doesn't make me right, a medical right, right. practitioner. We have to recognize the distinction between a child who's going through something more serious, of course, and the right. child who's simply experiencing an emotion. So what is it for the parent to learn to tolerate it and mm. teach the child to tolerate it? Yeah. And it's a huge lesson, and it's a hard lesson. Right. But let's not get in their way. Let's not contaminate them. Let them have their process and have their emotion. They will survive it. Right. right. And so will we. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How does someone practice being a conscious parent? In each moment, we practice it. So mm. when a child speaks, we stop or triggers us particularly, we take that pause. That pause, that meditative mm. pause is critical. Mm. We take a breath. And for me, it's come a little more second nature, but I still yeah. stop and take the pause before I dump and am I triggered and I go oh I'm triggered and I talk to myself uh, and I go oh the child why has this child made me so angry um, and in that moment I'm usually 90% of the time pretty good at not dumping it on the kid uh, now I will tell you that it doesn't feel satisfying when you haven't gone at your kid initially um, but 15 minutes or an hour later it's deeply satisfying when you don't have a mess mm. to clean up. And I stop and I ask myself, is this a mess I want to clean? Uh, if I don't need to want to clean up that mess, I better not cost. Uh, so I ask myself certain things. I have a lot of strategies. You know, we have right, a brief right, period right, of time, right. but I love to as much as I can. And so that's what I stop and I ask myself, does this warrant it? And sometimes it does. And see, now I'm attuned enough to know when it, I need to raise my voice but i do it so infrequently mm, right. that it's it, it really does matter right when i, I got gotcha. you i got gotcha. you yeah it's kind of like if you're always yelling at your kid they just tune you out Abs you're a nag absolutely right but if you only raise your voice once every six months then they like oh my god she raised her voice and when you're attuned to that child you know yeah. where they've crossed that line they need you right to confine them we right. need to be their container for these emotions right. and you know when enough is enough right. when they've reached that point right. because yeah. you know that child who's in front of you right. and that's part of the parents task really uh, i'm curious for you personally becoming a more conscious parent what's been the biggest challenge for you ah the biggest challenge has been watching my own ego mm. and and recognizing that it's not going away mm. but that it is not going to contaminate them so it is stopping mm. and accepting if i don't care for the behavior that's okay mm. if something isn't going my way that's too damn bad for me <laughs> so um little secret is that 
that these skills are unique in certain ways to parenting, but I always call it the great secret is that it really helps all of our oh, relationships, especially right. part of the relationship, yeah. can truly be helped by these shifts where we stop acting and right. triggering. So the great challenge has been to be a mindful parent, wow. but there is a great joy, Sam. Yeah. The greatest joy of my, my life has mm. been the connections that Anaki would that I could not have imagined mm. uh, developing. And what's been the greatest surprise for you? The depth of those connections has been the yeah. joy and surprise wow. and delight. Cool, cool. And how would you describe your relationship with your daughters today? Remarkable. Yeah. And how old are they now? They're now 21, graduating yeah. from college ah, soon. Wonderful. Without a job, but working on it. Right. A bright young woman and 23 in graduate school. Oh, wonderful. Congratulations. Congratulations. So, so Ellen, if, if people want to learn more about conscious parenting and find you, where can they go? How can they get in touch with you? It would be my great pleasure. Uh, I have a website, mm -hmm. enlightenparenting.co, that's co for coach, ah, not dot .com. It's a okay. little bit tricky, enlightenparenting.co, and I have email, ellen at enlightenparenting.co. Oh, All very easy to find me, and I love to speak to parents who want to wake up. Yeah, do, you, do you have any events, any lectures, any speaking engagements coming up that you can mention? Uh, huh, I, didn't, I don't have the schedule right in front of me, so I apologize. But you do, but it's on the, there are it's on some, the website. Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. So everybody, go check out enlightenedparenting.co. Ellen, thank you so much for coming to the thank Consultant you. Hour this week and, and for taking the time to come in studio. I really appreciate it. It has been my privilege and pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. And uh, to all my listening audience, it was great having you guys with us. Thank you, Mark, Nancy, Francis, all of our other listeners that I, I didn't get to. Um, and uh, it's great to be back in studio. The, these changes and also uh, before i forget uh we have a new show starting uh, today thursday at 5 p.m uh, kai cole who you heard just before me with kai society is coming back to do a second show called our daily magic so it premieres uh today april 6th at 5 p.m eastern time i hope you will tune back in. Of course, you know, between now and then, we'll be replaying our old show, so uh, I hope you catch it. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll have more great guests tomorrow. We have more live, sh brand new live shows tomorrow. And, and of course, like, you know, please, 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 you know, send us feedback. Sign up for our newsletter on our website so you can know what's uh, coming up for the shows. Just go right to talkradio.nyc, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see the little sign for, you know, join the, the Talk Radio NYC fan club. Um, it's a great way to keep in touch and let you know what's going on as well as some local events. So thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next week. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And, and welcome, welcome to, to 21st Century Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun for you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business and your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21st CE Radio or Talk Alternative. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.